Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate um, the song service and all those that are involved. You know, one of the things that I, um, I really try to encourage our church family back home is, um, you know, I, don't, I really don't want just my gift to be on display. In fact, I don't even want me to be on display. I want God to be on display. And, um, but however, I firmly believe in all of the gifts that the Holy Spirit has distributed. You find that over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4, where you have the list of the different gifts. And beloved, I want to share with you that God has entrusted to all of us here gifts. And can you imagine if all of the gifts in the church are activated and employed by the Holy Spirit for God's use, what that would look like? Uh, and and I'm, just, I'm just sharing this, that it's important for all of us to, to recognize that God has gifted and has distributed gifts to all, to everyone here. And so um, I just want to encourage you. I'm Mayor Madison, said don't step over here. I want to encourage you that, um, let, me, let me just creep over here, that uh, all of you have been, have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you allow the Holy Spirit to use each and every one of those gifts for his glory and for the salvation of, of souls. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, now I come once again before your people and my family, and I just ask that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will speak Speak your word to us, Lord. Your word in John chapter 6, it tells us your words are spirit and they are life. I pray that you would speak life to us today, Lord. I pray that you would, that you would stir us up, Lord. That we, would not be, that we would not be content or satisfied or even complacent. Please, dear God. I pray that you would stir our hearts up. That there would be a fire lit in us, Lord, and that fire would be the Holy Spirit. I pray that he would come and that he would speak your word through me today, that you will be lifted up, Jesus, and that you, God, will receive all the glory and the praise and the credit and the kudos for what you are doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, we've been going through profile of the, of the lukewarm. I'd like, to, I'd, like to, I'd like to finish this up. This afternoon. And um, <clears throat> so this was the last one that we, we, we stopped on. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus and he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They give him a section of their time, their money, and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. Luke 9 verses 57 through 62, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Lukewarm people love God, but they do not love him with all their heart, soul, and strength. They would be quick to assure you that they try to love God that much, um, that they try to love God that much, but that sort of total devotion isn't really possible for the average person. It's only for pastors and missionaries and radicals. <laughs> there has to be a, there has to be 
it, the Holy Spirit has to, has to do a work that we are incapable of doing ourselves. Um, notice what it says in Matthew 20, 22, verse 37, 38. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. <clears throat> notice the next one. Lukewarm people love others, but do not seek to love others as much as they love themselves. Their love of others is typically focused on those who love them in return, like family, friends, and other people they know and connect with. There is little love left over for those who cannot love them back, much less for those who intentionally slight them, whose kids are better athletes than theirs or with whom conversations are awkward or uncomfortable. Their love is highly conditional and very selective and generally comes with strings attached. Where do we find, where do we find Christ speaking about this? It's found in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, um, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles there. Turn with me in your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 5, and um, he may have it up here. You know what? While you're, while you're looking, it up, um, I may have it up here. Um, yep, there it is. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 47. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So let me ask you a question. If, 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 is there a whole different level of love that we should have if Christ is abiding in our hearts? I mean, are we only loving those who love us back? Are we only kind to those who are kind back to us? Are we only kind and loving to those that we know and, and maybe family and friends? But what about those, what about those who, who despitefully use us or, or treat us wrongly or, or say, say things that are not true about us? I mean, do we, have that, do we have that kind of love even for them? I mean, that's a pretty strong statement by Jesus. I don't think it can get any stronger that we are to even love our enemies. That's a whole, I mean, wow, that's a whole different level of love. That, that transcends what we typically and normally do. We only want to love those who love us back. <laughs> and of course, that's the natural thing that we, to do because that's what, I mean, that's what we're going to do. But when Christ is dwelling in the heart and dwelling in the life, man, that dynamic changes because now you can even love people <clears throat> and let me, let, me just be, let me just be very frank and honest here. There are some people that are very hard to love, aren't there? Yes. I mean, there's some people, man, wow, like, they just... Um, <laughs> uh, uh, that's what I love about being with church, you know, family, because, you know... I don't know about this church, but I know the church that I'm at, there are some, there are some resident crazies. <clears throat> and yeah, and, and they, they, sometimes they just drive me absolutely up the wall. You know, I mean, they, they uh, man, just every, li every little thing, you know, they, they, they want to call a board meeting over every little thing. Um, and, and beloved, I want to share with you that but even those, even those that, I mean, that are just, wow, tough to love, if we have the love of Christ, we're going to love them anyway. Isn't that right? We're going to love people. And so, 
Let me go to this one. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Then Jesus said to, the, to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends your, or your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. Wow. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. How many of us are really following that? You know, I mean, much of what we do is we just invite to our own homes or those that we're comfortable with and we already have relationships with and we're friends with. But wow, this is a whole different level. Again, this is a, this is a challenge. I want to I give you guys something um, <clears throat> that was, that's interesting. When I went to Samoa in 2016 for, for, um, for a camp meeting out there, first time I went, to my, went back to my home island. So wow, it was just amazing. You know, Samoa is like Hawaii, but wow, I mean, just, it was, it was, it was just so powerful. And here's what happened, though. Here's, here's what happened. So God brought two, two pastors from, from California, and then he brought, or actually three, and then myself, and all four of us had to work in the youth tent. Now, what's interesting, what's interesting about it was, and, and you know, we've grown, we've, we have real powerful relationships now. We pray together. We love one another. But man, there were some differences. There were some differences and we couldn't understand. We were both trying to, we were all trying to read each other. It's because the other two came from California and they were looked upon as being more progressive or liberal. And myself and the other brother from California, we were looked upon as being conservative, present truth. And what happened was when we went to that, when we went to that youth tent, you know, we all looked at each other kind of suspiciously like, man, we don't agree, we don't, we don't jive, we don't connect. And yet... I want to share with you that even, even we, we actually said, you know what, let's just, let's, just, let's just pray together, let's just preach the word, let's present the truth of God's word, and let the Holy Spirit go to work. And I want to share with you, beloved, I praise God, I praise God for what happened in that tent. Do you know that over 80 people were baptized, the majority of those were young people? And that was just during one week of camp meeting. And I want, I want to share with you something else that was so powerful about that week. I have, uh, there, was a, there was an auntie of mine. She was 80 years old at the time. And boy, whew, she was stubborn. She even, had, she even confessed that she was the black sheep of the family and that no one was going to convert her. In fact, we got together at a family dinner at the beginning of the week. And she said, oh, you know, she said, you know, Nehemiah, the family's been trying to convert me for the longest time, and I'm here to let you know that they've failed and failed and failed. No one's going to convert me. And I was thinking in my mind, now you messed up, auntie, because God's going to get you. And what I said to her, I said, that's okay, auntie. We love you. We love you anyway, and we're just so happy that we can fellowship. Do you know that the whole week we were, we were just fellowshipping with her, having dinner, having meals with her, and then when, when um, Pastor Meshach made the appeal in the big church that we were all gathered in, it was packed. And, man, he was making appeal after appeal, and there were droves of young people that were just coming down the aisle, and they were giving their hearts to Jesus and saying yes to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the church just went silent because there was music playing. There were people singing, and all of a sudden it went silent. Why? Because my auntie stood up in the back of the church. And everybody knew who she was. 
And she was walking down the aisle with tears streaming down her face. And she went up and she put on a baptismal robe and she went up those stairs into the baptismal pool. And then she said to Pastor Meshach, could you please have my nephew Nehemiah come up here and baptize me? And when I went up there and she was still crying and she said, maybe this is the reason why the Lord brought you all the way to Samoa to baptize me. To which I replied, Auntie, if this is the only reason why I came to Samoa, it's been worth it. 80 years of age. <laughs> and you know what she's doing now? She's, she's, a faithful, she's a faithful saint in that church there in Samoa. And she's serving as treasurer. And she is not the lady you want to mess with when it comes to the books. <laughs> Trust me. So this is, why, this is why I'm sharing with you that the Holy Spirit can do a work that we can't. And I, and I was sharing with, you know, a brother earlier, please, I, I am leery, I am leery of any type of unity that will try to remove the word of God from it. Amen. Beloved, I want to share with you that, that the word of God needs to take central. It needs to be Central. You see, the problem that's happening with many of the churches today is the word of God is no longer central. They want, they, you know, want to follow everything else. They want to follow different things and, and all of this other stuff. Beloved, I want to share with you that there is nothing more powerful than the word of God. The word of God stands on its own. Um, so, My wife and I are, are, are attempting this. And you know, I want to share with you that as much as I love my Adventist family <laughs> during church time, I love, I love them, I love you guys. But when we have a bunch of guests in the church, <laughs> I, tell my, I tell my family, you guys go over there and mingle with people. I need to mingle with them as well. I love you. But you know what? Sometimes Adventists, they come up and take all your time. You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay. Sometimes, sometimes you guys, you know, like, like just have your antennas up. Pay attention when the pastor is done or whoever, the elders. And by the way, by the way, I want to share with you. I, I want to share this with you before, before I forget. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing it to my mind. I want us to understand something that we cannot box in the Holy Spirit. We can't box him in. All you got to do is read, there are, two, there are two instances that I can give you right off the bat, right off the top of my head. Go home tonight and read Numbers chapter 11. In fact, turn with me in your Bibles there. Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. And please go down with me to verse 16. Okay. By the way, let me ask you a question. Why were the 70 elders selected? Response to Moses' request. Yeah. What was, what was the need? Was there a need? 
Yeah, a lot of work to be done. So, in other words, the role of the elder, and by the way, in Acts chapter 6, when there was a complaint brought on by the Grecian widows, the role of the deacon then came to being, which tells me that both the role of the elder and the role of the deacon arose out of a need in the community, not for church service. Oh, you guys didn't catch that. The role of the elder and the role of the deacon didn't, was birthed out of a need in the community and not solely for church service. But what we relegated our elders and our deacons to do is primarily to serve only in a church service on Sabbath, collecting offering <laughs> and cleaning up and doing all these things. Don't get me wrong. All of that is important. And I praise God for our elders and deacons. Would you say amen? Yes. Praise God for their service. But... When you look at it, it was really birthed out of a need in the community and for service. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, I'm just sharing this. I want to share with you that we can't box in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will do some things that will surprise and shock us. Because sometimes I think that we just say, you know what? The Holy Spirit has to operate this way. Now, please don't, don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit will never go contrary to the word. Would you say amen? amen? Never. But we need to be very careful. Ellen White says that we ought not to try to control the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to control us. Please notice what it says. Actually, I'm going to jump down. Okay. Um, verse 16, I'll read it first. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon, notice this, I will take of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burdens of the people with thee, and thou shalt not bear it thyself alone. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that just um, wonderful of God to, to uh, I mean, and didn't his father-in-law Jethro also give him good advice and counsel about this? So now notice, and thou, and say thou unto the people, sanctify yourselves against, to, against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt, therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and you shall eat. You shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it come out of your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you, because that you have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people among whom I am are six hundred thousand footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh, that they may eat a whole month. Shall the, shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand uh, waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto, the, unto him and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them, and they were of them that were written, but, not, but went not unto the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. 
And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And then notice, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. So what's, what, what's happening? Moses was instructed by God to take 70 elders and bring them over there to the, to the what? To the tabernacle. They were to, be, they were to experience the same spirit that was resting upon Moses. God would now place it upon the 70 elders. There were two of them, however, that did not show up. <laughs> And if you read the spirit of prophecy in the book, Patriots and Prophets, the, ser- the Lord's servant said that they felt so humble, these two men, that they did not go because they, they felt so humbled that they did not believe that they should be receiving this same spirit. And yet, even though they did not show up and did not go, just as they were ordered to do so, the Holy Spirit still fell on them too. And then a complaint arose and said, man, those two guys are in the camp, they're prophesying, and then they, Joshua Went over there and told Moses, man, Moses, you see what's happening? You ought to forbid that. And what did Moses say? Should I be jealous of that? Should you be jealous of that? We ought to be praying that the Holy Spirit would fall on the entire camp. <laughs> over there in Acts chapter 6, I'm not going to turn to it. You guys know that there was a complaint again. <laughs> the church was exploding exponentially. And now there was a complaint that the Grecian widows were not being treated fairly or being treated as, as well as the, the Jewish widows. And the, the apostles heard that complaint. Sometimes it's good for us to listen to some of the things that are being said in the church and, and by the Spirit of God take action. And I love what they said. Peter said, you know what? He said, we're not going to wait on tables. He said, we, we have given ourselves to the preaching of the word and the prayer and the teaching of the word. He says, choose from among you seven men of good report and filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. What were these seven men selected to do according to the context? They They were to serve the people and they were to serve the widows. But it but did it stop there? See, I mean, from a human standpoint perspective, we would look at that and be like, well, that's all, they were, that's all they were selected for. They should just stick to their duties, kitchen duty, folding chair duty, collecting offering duty. But then when you read the account of the chapters that follow that, Stephen stood up a mighty man of God filled with the Holy Spirit and preached the gospel. <laughs> Woo! What, I mean, can you imagine the deacons of our church Getting up and not being afraid just because they're, they're deacons or they're not the pastor. And getting up filled with the Holy Spirit and preaching the gospel with power. So these are two occasions. Where we look at and we say, man, you know, what we think the norm should be. What we think, you know, boxing it in. The Holy Spirit is too big for our boxes. I want to... I I want to continue on here. So this is, this is really a challenge because, you know, my wife, bless her heart. She's like, she's like honey, you know, we should, she's now going a, a, a little further than, than I'm willing to go. She's like, why don't we, why don't we, you know, 
why don't we go and find those people that are, that are lurking around over there by the Safeway who, you know, they're, sit, they're basically sitting out there, homeless. Why don't we go invite them to come in and have dinner with us in our home? I'm like, seriously? <laughs> but, then, but then I said, you know what? Praise God. Because that's what Jesus would do. And that's what he's called us to do. And so last week, um, last week we opened up our home and there were like, there were like five young people. You know, some of them are skateboarders. <laughs> and we said, hey, you know, we got, a, we got a meal over here. My wife has prepared a meal. And we just want to invite you guys to come in and just hang out with us. They were like, man, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Let's go. They, they were, you know, over there rolling their, their, you know, using their skateboard to come all the way to our house following our car. <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. And we had them in our home. And my wife served them up. And I want to tell you that it, it, it does something even for, for my daughter and for my, for my kids to witness that. And Pastor, I want to share with you that ever since, ever since we, we've been spending more time together in prayer, and by the, way, by the way, although I have many prayer partners and accountability partners among my pastors, my wife is my number one prayer partner. She's my, her and my kids are my first church. <laughs> And we guard that, we guard that time tenaciously. Okay? It's important, folks. It's important. I, I, I can't emphasize enough that even in our homes, our homes, we need to model. We need to model for our spouse and our children Christ's life. Would you say amen? We need to model it for them. They need to see it. They need to hear it. They need to experience it. So, let's continue on. Lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go or how much time, money, and energy they are willing to give. Whew. I believe that we, are, we, we have today um, a religion of convenience. If it is not convenient for me, then find somebody else to do it. I mean, think, look, at, look at this. We, lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go or how much time, money, and energy they are willing to give. You know, the servant of the Lord writes, um, wow, in several different places, but she talks about how, how we are to give of our, we are to make full use of our, our time and resources and finances and talents and gifts, all that God has blessed us with to be faithful stewards over. <laughs> And, and we are not to hoard it for ourselves. We are not to hoard it for just, just the family here. We are to share with the community. Time, money, talents, gifts. Notice what it says in Luke 18, verse 21 through 25, all these commandments I have kept since I was a boy. He said, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. By the way, um, one of the things that I love about the book Ministry of Healing is that there's a balanced, there's a balanced message in there. You know, God doesn't only call us to minister to the poor. He also calls us to minister to the affluent and the rich and the wealthy. 
because many of them are destitute and devoid of God as well. And they need the gospel. Would you say amen? They need the gospel. That chapter, Ministry to the Rich, whoo, powerful. Because many, listen, God wants to reach all classes of people. Ellen White says that with God, he hates castes. He hates territorial lines. All that stuff. You know, and, and that's why we're, we're, across, we're across generational lines, territorial lines, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, folks. That's why I was sharing with you about the, the Muslims and how we're reaching out to them. And I praise God for the opportunity. Uh, it's, not, it's not this coming week, but it's the following week where I'm going to be speaking at their mosque. And sharing the word of God with them. And I'm going to share with them that we are the people of the book. And while the Quran does not give an end time scenario, see the radicals have taken it and they've spun their own interpretation on it. And as a result, um, that's why the Muslims are, are, are confused. But in their own book it says you need not be confused. Go and find the people of the book and they will share with you the truth. Beloved, we are the people of that book. And, you know, one of my friends, one of my friends, and you guys might have heard this. You guys probably met him last year at town meeting, but he was sharing about an experience that he had in Los Angeles when he went to a mosque. They had a gathering of all these different religious and Christian leaders who were visiting the mosque on this particular, on this particular day. And as they were all entering, they were all, he stood to the imam shaking their hand and welcoming them. And then finally he walks in and he says, okay, now where are you coming? Where are you visiting us from? He says, well, I'm pastor so-and-so and I'm with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And, and then the imam said, oh, welcome, thank you. And he squeezed his hand and pulled him into him. Now, can you imagine the reaction? You, you're probably like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> right? But he pulls him into him, and he says, listen. He goes, hey, man, uh, listen, I've read the Bible from cover to cover, and I've not found one scripture that supports worshiping on the first day of the week. He says, but you Adventists, he said, I've read the Bible and the Sabbath is clear in there. And then he said to my friend, he said, what's wrong with all the rest of these guys? <laughs> right? A nephew of mine who did prison time and was, was not really, he was raised in Adventist, but he wasn't really into the Adventist faith. He wasn't, in, he wasn't into the Adventist faith. So he went to prison, converted over to, to Muslim, you know, he became a Muslim in prison. And one day all of him, he and his, brother, uh, his Muslim brothers were sitting around because they believe that, they believe that Christianity is corrupt. And they even, they even believe that, you know, the Bible is, 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 pretty, is watered down according to what, what they think and believe. And that's why whenever I refer to the Bible, I refer to it as the scriptures. Their, their, their mindset is more open to the scriptures. And so... My nephew was talking with them, and they were just bashing Christianity. They were saying, like, man, Christians, you know, they're so, they don't even follow their own book. They do this and that, this and that, this and that. And then my nephew said, oh, wait a minute, though. There is one group out there. <laughs> and they all looked at him and said, oh, really? And who's that? He said, the Seventh-day Adventists. 
They are the people of the book. They believe the Bible and by God's grace as much as possible, they try to follow what the Bible teaches. And so, beloved, I want to share with you that God is opening up doors. God is opening up doors. I want you to notice what it says here in Luke 18, verse 21 25. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Lukewarm people. Lukewarm people think about life on earth much more often than eternity in heaven. Daily life is mostly focused on today's to-do list, this week's schedule, and next month's vacation. Rarely, if ever, do they intently consider the life to come. Regarding this, C.S. Lewis writes, If you read history, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. <laughs> it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Let me ask you something. Is that true? I mean, think about it. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next world. And then, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. I can't wait. I, 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 I'm hoping maybe tomorrow or Sunday I want to cover with you I want to cover you with you principles from the Word of God on how to reach the secular mind. How to reach the secular mind. Because I'm going to just lay it out there. For the most part, we are just winning other Christians. For the most part, we're just win winning other Christians. But the secular mind, and I'm thinking of Seattle. By the way, by the way, the team that we're forming over there, that's happening over there in our churches, we have our eyes and our minds set on Seattle. Because <laughs> let me share something with you. If God can take Seattle, it's just going to spread out throughout the rest of the cities because the fortress must be taken first. <laughs> I, I, hey, folks, I serve a big God. Do you believe our God is big? Amen. And I believe that God can take Seattle. I believe with all my heart. That's why we got these guys coming in. This, this, this gentleman, Pastor Rome, Ulia, that I shared with you about earlier, he actually works, he's, he's a pastor, but he's a school evangelist in Australia. And you might be wondering, wow, what is a school evangelist? Well, over there in Australia, 90% of the students are secular in our Adventist school. <laughs> you can almost flip that over here. The majority of the students that attend Auburn Academy and, are, and BV, the majority of them are Seventh-day Adventist Christians already or Christians. But when you go to a secular place, by the way, in Australia, it's the, it's the fifth most secular country in all of the world. And by the way, Seattle is also very secular. Okay? And so we must understand God's methods and God's ways of reaching the secular-minded people. We have not put a dent in that yet. But I believe with all my heart, that the Holy Spirit can do it. <laughs> Holy Spirit can do it. So, 
Let me continue on. Philippians 3, verse 18 through 20. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many love as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Would you say amen? By the way, that's, 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 that's the position from which we operate. We operate from a kingdom position. Jesus sitting on the right hand of God. We should be operating from a position of power. You know, before I came full on into um, the ministry, back into the ministry, I'll, I'll get to you. I'll give you part two tomorrow of my testimony. Um, I was working there at Seattle City Light doing electrical underground work. Installing, um, installing cable, cable wires down below underground and running them through conduit. And I want to share with you, beloved, that one of the things that, you know, I'm, whenever an entire neighborhood or a section of downtown is without power, man, they are, whew, they are so thankful when we show up on the scene. Because they're like, okay, here they are. You know, they're, they're about to restore power. And yeah, unfortunately, it is true. Sometimes Seattle City, I mean, city workers take their sweet time. And um, sometimes it's one guy doing all the work and six other people are looking and watching, you know. Um, but I want to tell you, I want to tell you that my friend said, man, now you're going to go to the church. At least you don't have to f deal with all of this drama. <laughs> Man, I, I, nearly, I nearly fell over laughing. I said, what, what did you say? He said, man, you're about to go into the ministry full time, man. You'll be drama free. You'll be free from all of this stuff. I said, yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you. So we're not that much different from the city. Ellen White has an interesting illustration example. There was a man who hired a foreman to, to train the workers, right? Well, the supervisor was looking down and he saw that the foreman was in there doing the work. And he comes down and he fires the foreman. And the foreman says, why are you firing me? He said, because I did not hire you to do all the work. I hired you to train these people to help you do the work. Wow, what would... Mm, I better be careful. I, would, I better be careful because, you know what, if we as pastors are not equipping and training and discipling members, we're not doing our job. We're not doing what God has called us to do. Okay, so set your, set your mind on things above. We ought to be operating from a position of power. Lukewarm people are thankful for their luxuries and comforts and rarely consider trying to give as much as possible to the poor. They're quick to point out Jesus never said money is the root of all evil, only that the love of money is. All untold numbers of lukewarm people feel called to minister to the rich. Very few feel called to minister to the poor. Okay, I want to say that, that it all depends on the context. Of where we're at. Because I know of some churches. And by the way, by the way, folks, do you, know that, do you know that when we truly have the gospel of Jesus Christ, we become balanced people? <laughs> A balanced church? Let me, let me share with you what's happening, what's happening in, in, our, in, um, in many of our churches. So on one end, on one end we, we want to do, do evangelism. We want to do Daniel and Revelation. By the way, I'm a public evangelist, and so I love public evangelism. I, I bleed it. 
that, that's, that's in my blood. I've been doing evangelism for, for a long time now, for, for, long, uh, for many years. It's part of my calling that God has called me to. But what I've discovered, though, and God is starting to shift the paradigm in my mind and, and how we're looking at these things, because what happens is, is oftentimes when a church wants to put on an evangelistic meeting, and praise God for that, I'm not knocking it, they want to put on an evangelistic meeting, they want to send flyers into the neighborhood, but they've done no type of outreach to the community, they've done no bridge events, and so basically we're saying, okay, Lord, now you take these flyers and you do whatever you will with them, and God still, in spite in spite of our lack of energy and effort at trying to go out into the community, he still blesses us with people. But that is so that that is so off balance. Because we're trying to we're trying to get people to come in. And by the way, by the way, when they come in and, and, and they hear about Revelation Daniel, and praise God, we ought to be preaching the message. And trust me, when I do, I give it everything I've got. I am spent by the end of the time when I'm doing those meetings. But we need to be balanced. Here's, here's where I'm coming from. On the other spectrum. The opposite end of the spectrum. Ellen White says that we need to be careful that we're not just meeting the needs of the people in the community because then we just turn into the Salvation Army. If we're just meeting the needs of the people and reaching out to people but not giving them the word, because you have two factions in the church that are doing this, the balance is somewhere in the middle. What would it look like if the whole church is reaching out to the community, inviting people into their homes, and, and sharing the gospel in their homes? They're over, there, um, they're over there meeting with people, praying with them, sharing the word with them, sharing the truth of the Bible with them. And as they're going through all of this in your home, in their homes, and they're starting to understand the word, and then you start building these relationships, making these connections, and then at the end of all of that comes Daniel and Revelation. Wow. I told the Holy Spirit, I said, Lord, whatever you want to say this, this weekend, whatever you want to do to spark and ignite and shake some things up, I'm going to let you do it, Holy Spirit. I'm going to let you do it. I, I just think, I just believe that we, we become so off balance. I'm, I'm just speaking for, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we have it all down here at, um, at Winlock in, in on Alaska. And um, I want you to notice, though, Matthew 25, 34, and 40. Come ye who are blessed of my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Amen? Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7. By the way, I encourage you to read all of Isaiah 58 because that's the divine prescription right there. Medical missionary work is in Isaiah 58. Amen. By the way, do you know that it also tells us that what the church ought to be doing in Isaiah 58? And then it says, at the end of it, you shall truly call the Sabbath a delight. I think we missed that. We kind of gloss over the rest of it and then go immediately to, we shall call the Sabbath a delight. But what must take place, and by the way, by the way, when you read the whole passage, do you know that it also says that as we are ministering and serving other people, it says that, even our own health will benefit from it. <laughs> you see, because what happens is we, come, we, we become so self-centered and self-serving. Now, I'm not, again, I'm, not, I'm speaking in generalities here. 
But when people are being ministered to, it says that it does something to your, for your own health. It redounds back to you. Wow. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and you untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without it requiring too much of them. They ask, how far can I go before it's considered a sin instead of how can I keep myself pure as the temple of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> wow. Okay. They ask, how much do I have to give instead of how much can I give? <laughs> I'm just... They ask, how much time should I spend praying and reading my Bible instead of, I wish I didn't have to go to work so I can sit here and read longer? <laughs> um, how many of us are loving, how many of us are loving spending time in the Word and praying? Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're letting God talk to us and then we're praying and Fellowshipping and communion, communing with God? Like Pastor said over there, I mean, we've got to eat. Right? It, just as it applies in the physical world, the natural world, we need food for sustenance physically. We need the word of God. Man, this is delicious, folks. Try it. I mean, seriously, this is delicious. The word of God is delicious. And, man, I just, I, I just love, I just love it. Um, First Chronicles 29, 14, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Matthew 13, 44 through 46, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one, great, one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And I believe it says lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. This focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and risking for God. Um, wow. Wow. Again, you're going to hear a missionary come in tomorrow and share. Um, there, was, there was a pastor, and I, and I, was, share, I was sharing this with one of the ladies during, during lunch. There was a pastor that just blows my mind. And uh, he's not Adventist, but he blows my mind. His relationship with God, his heart for God, his heart for people. I think in many ways, just, I mean, Wow. I believe it was in 1994, somewhere around there, he started, a, he, started a, he started a group in his home down there in California. That group grew from his living room, and it, it grew to a church of over 5,000 people. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You open up your home, and then boom, all of a sudden, you're, you're a church of 5,000 people. And what was amazing about it was this. He had a, he had a mega church in Simi Valley, he had a mega church in Simi Valley, and yet 
And yet, Pastor, when he, when he looked at the Word of God, he was convicted. He was convicted by the Word of God that even though he had a church service that was ascending or church that was ascending and growing, they were baptizing people every single weekend. They had two, they had two services on Sabbath and three services on Sunday. <laughs> but he was convicted by the, by the Holy Spirit that that church was not following the biblical model. Wow. He said it was not following the biblical model because here's the thing about mega churches that people don't know about. You guys ready for this? Mega churches basically, or, or, the, or really what they do is they just basically provide a fix for people on the weekend. Oh, I pray that Seventh-day Adventists don't come to church on Sabbath just looking for a fix. Yes. And, and here's, here's, the, here's the proof. Whenever you see where mega churches are planted or where they are, you're going to discover that even that community in that neighborhood in which they're planted is more secular than ever. So how on earth could you have a mega church in a community that is very secular? That means that they are not making any type of inroads with the community there, and you gauge it by the spiritual temperature of the community. If the church in the community in which it is situated is not having an impact and causing a difference spiritually in the community, then why are you there? And so the mega church model is this. The people, they work hard all week long. I'm just saying many of them. I know that there are many of them who are sincere. Amen? God, I mean, Jesus said in John chapter 10, other sheep I have that are not of this fold. By the way, Ellen White says that the majority of God's people still remain in Babylon. <laughs> okay? But now listen to this. Listen to this. This is powerful. So they come, they work all week long, and you know what? They're just content with showing up at the mega church and saying, you know what? Pastor, you give us our quick fix, and we're going to give you our tithe and our offering. The pastor, happy to take the tithe and the offering, gives them their quick fix, and then everyone goes back home, and nothing changes. Now, what this pastor saw is he looked at the book of, he looked at the book of Acts, he looked at the model of Jesus, and he said, you know what? We're not following what Acts says. And so what he did was, he, even with the blessing of the leadership of, his, of that megachurch, he left that megachurch. And he and his wife and their children went on a mission trip to Africa, to Thailand, to India, and to China. And they stayed with the people who were on the grassroots levels, and they were working with pastors who had basically given everything up for the cause of the gospel, and they were visiting underground churches, they were visiting home churches, and they discovered that this network of home churches was in the millions And God said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you back to San Francisco. I want you to go back to San Francisco, and I want you to start another home group. What I loved about this pastor is that he completely downsized everything, sold his house, sold what he had, and he was living in a one-bedroom apartment. And out of that one-bedroom apartment, he and his wife opened up their home again, started up another home group. And wouldn't you know it, they had the biggest, one of the biggest home church networks in all of North America in San Francisco. I'm going I'm to I'm tell you right now, how many pastors would, do you know would leave a situation like that where a church is growing and thriving and ascending? 
But he left it all. Because he was convicted by the word. He was convicted by the Holy Spirit. That they weren't following the model. You know what I love what he said too about it? He said, I discovered that every time I preached and every time I got up, everybody was enjoying my gift. But there were thousands of other people who weren't using theirs. <laughs> John, Pastor John, one of these Sabbaths, when you get up and you ask, you maybe ask that question, how was church this week? I look forward to when all your church members raise their hands and everybody has something to testify about during the week and what God has done for them to minister to somebody else. That's going to be powerful. Okay, let me, let me finish up. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be ignorant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our rich enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Matthew 10, 28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Lukewarm people feel secure because they attend church, made a profession of faith at age 12, were baptized come from a Christian family, or live in America. Just as the prophets in the Old Testament warned Israel that they were not safe just because they lived in the land of Israel, so we are not safe just because we wear the label Christian or because some people persist in calling us a Christian nation. Okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Amos 6.1, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure in Mount, Mount uh, uh, Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They have their savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have their retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life God would have them live. They have, figured life, they have life figured out and mapped out. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. <coughs> wow. Their refrigerators are full, and for the most part, they are in good health. The truth is, their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. Right. <coughs> Two prominent influencers, if I may call them that, in the Christian world, basically just have disavowed their faith recently. I saw articles on that. And it's amazing how for years and years and years they took a stand on certain things and now they've totally, completely disavowed their faith and belief in it. How, how can, wow, how does that happen? I'll tell you how. Because somewhere along the line, they became lukewarm. And beloved, I want to share with you that they, and now they're, they're, they just completely went out. And then somebody else came back and said, and I love what he said, he said the reason is because there are too many, too many people who are taking emotions and feelings over the truth of God's word. So we've got to come back to the word. Would you say amen? amen. We've got to come back to the word. Let's close. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink. And be merry. But God said to him, You fool, 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Okay? Um, lukewarm people probably drink and swear less than average, but besides, but besides then, they really, aren't very, they really aren't very different from your typical unbeliever. They equate their partially sanitized lives with holiness, but they couldn't be more wrong. Okay? Um, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup, outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Wow. Let me ask you something. Did Jesus tell it straight? <laughs> the straightest preacher I know. Um, and so, I mean, this is... And now we've come to, we've come to the end. You know, I, I just want to share with you that I, I hope and pray that as we went through all of that, that you were able to take some of that in and even tonight and throughout this weekend that you would process it. And really ask the Lord, Lord, help me to see... Show me my heart. Show me my heart, Lord. Show me what, where it is. What area? Where am I, Lord? What, I mean, I want to be all yours. I want to be all in. Yes. The Holy Spirit wants all of us to be all in, folks. Christ, Christ, Christ is all in for you and me. And he wants to bestow upon us the gift of the Holy Spirit. I... You know, what would it be like? Now, Pastor John, help me out here. Is is Winlock and is Winlock and Onalaska the only churches in this region? Who else do you have out here? Morton, okay. All right. What would happen if all the churches in this region? United and got together for prayer and prayed for the Holy Spirit and asked the Holy Spirit to direct and guide and lead in a, in a movement that would sweep this entire region and claim all the citizens in this part of the, uh, this part of the region for the kingdom of God. God wants to do something special. You know, when I was pulled out from the fire, when I was pulled out from the gang life, from the drugs and all of that, now I see people. Because I, I want to tell you, I want to tell you folks, you know, I believe that God, God, God is in control and he can perform miracles. Do you believe that? you still believe that? Our three churches that have come together could not be any more different. <laughs> you go to the Kent church. Okay, I'm just going to hit on it. You go to the Kent church. They got a drum set up in their sanctuary. Okay. You come over there to the Maple Valley church. We got a nice organ in our sanctuary. 
<laughs> you go over there to Renton Church. They had a nice piano and everything else. We couldn't be any more different. Please don't get this wrong. But we have decided that even in spite of our differences, we are coming together in common, you know, we are coming together in united prayer and we are coming together to, to, to search the word of God. We're praying for the Holy Spirit because we want the Holy Spirit to win our territory for the kingdom of God. And now listen, that does not mean that we're compromising. <laughs> we don't, we're, not, we're not compromising truth. We're not compromising the principles of God's word. But we are coming together for a, common, for a common goal. And that is to pray together for revival and for the Holy Spirit. And that our, our territory and our region would be won for Jesus Christ. So, I believe that that could happen here too. <laughs> I believe it with all my heart. So, John, how much time we got left? I want to, we're done? Three minutes? Okay, we're done. We're done. I'll tell you what, tomorrow, tomorrow, and thank, thanks, Pastor John, for that. Um, tomorrow, what I'm going to do is, um, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to shorten my sessions tomorrow because I want to give time for Q&A. See, one of the things that I think I believe for, for, uh, wholeheartedly, and I'm doing it over there at Maple Valley now, is um, because of the testimonies, I give a, I give a shorter message. And then I asked my church family members to break up into small groups and to discuss what the Holy Spirit just spoke to them. <laughs> and then if they have any questions, go ahead and ask. I think as a church, we need to be able to allow people not only to discuss what they've heard, because oftentimes they'll hear the speaker, then they don't have the time, they don't really process it, and then they leave and they forgot what they heard, or they go home and they complain, and then their kids hear them complain about the preacher. I don't, I, don't, I don't like that. I, I, I like to give people an opportunity to discuss what they've heard, process it, what has the Holy Spirit spoken to your heart, and then go into a Q&A session. One of the things I love that we ought to be able to do as Adventists is we ought to be able to answer hard questions. No matter how they come. Any issue. <laughs> That's what we have this for, right? Okay. All right. Now, how many of you now are, are on fire for Jesus? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm fired up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for the time that I've spent with my family today. Lord, what a, what, a, what a privilege and a joy it is, Lord, to just share your word. And I know, Lord, that as we looked at, uh, as we looked at a few things um, in terms of what lukewarmness looks like, and Father, I've been there. Father, I know what that's like. And Lord, I don't, by your grace, want to go back to it. And so, Father, I'm praying that for, for Winlock and Onalaska and the surrounding churches and whatever churches some of my family come from, I pray, dear God, that you would move us out of this lukewarm condition and state and set us on fire and ablaze with your Holy Spirit. Please, dear God, whatever it takes... Whatever it takes, Lord, to, to ignite and to spark a fire within your people, a fire in our bones, I pray, dear God, 
that you would accomplish that. I pray for my church family, Lord. I pray for all the homes that are represented here. I pray for the marriages that are here, the single folks that are here, the young people, the young adults, our elderly. I pray, Lord, for all of them, Lord. I ask that you would cover them and that, Lord, we will stand on your word and your word alone. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. We love you. Why? Because you first loved us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.